0: We have two readings this morning. The first is Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 30, 33 to 40, and that can be found on page 183 of the Church Bibles. Deuteronomy chapter 4, starting at verse 32. Ask now about the former days, long before your time, from the day God created man on the earth. Ask from one end of the heavens to the other. Has anything so great as this ever happened, or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire as you have and lived? Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by testings, by miraculous signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds, like the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Beside him there is no other. From heaven he made you hear his voice to discipline you, On earth he showed you his great fire, and you heard his words from out of the fire. Because he loved your forefathers and chose their descendants after them, he brought you out of Egypt by his presence and great strength to drive out before you nations greater and stronger than you and to bring you into their land to give it to you for your inheritance as it is today. Acknowledge and take heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above, And on the earth below, there is no other. Keep his decrees and commands which I am giving you today, so that it may go well with you and your children after you, and that you may live long in the land the Lord your God gives you for all time. Our second reading is Mark chapter 9, verses 2 to 8, and that can be found on page 1012 of the Church Bibles. Mark chapter 9, verses 2 to 8. Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Uh, Let's pray as we begin. I'm going to start with some words. I was reading this morning from Psalm 12. The words of the Lord are flawless, like silver refined in a furnace of clay, purified seven times. Our Father, we pray that as we think on your word this morning, that you would cause us to see it for what it is, flawless, pure, and desirable. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you think about it, different words invoke different responses. Uh, If you find when you get home that there's a letter or a card waiting on the doorstep and you recognize it's from the person who loves you most, I guess as you open it and read those words, well, there'll be that warm sense that comes over you of anticipation as you read each word. Uh, If you go home and you take your prescription medicine, I guess uh, you take very seriously the words that say, take this tablet four times a day, uh, four days a week, and that sort of thing. See, there are words we take very seriously. Uh, Then there are words that perhaps just float past us. I don't know if you've seen on the side of the motorway, you often drive and you see these messages that say to you, wear a seatbelt. And you think to yourself, well, I'm already wearing a seatbelt. And if I wasn't, would that sign really persuade me otherwise? And the message just kind of floats past you. Then there are messages that we know we should take seriously, but don't really. The safety announcement on a plane. How many of us really listen to it? We know it's serious. We know that actually if the worst happened, actually this would be very important information. But because we're so familiar with it, we read the airplane magazine instead. Now, when it comes to God's Word, I wonder what our sort of response is to it. Where is it on the spectrum between the message from the one who loves us, who we're eager to read this Word, and uh, it creates in us all sorts of um, excitement as we read it? Or is it like the message that kind of we know should be important but like the airline safety video it just drifts past us or is it like the message on the side of the motorway see this passage this morning is all about helping us to see God's word for the real rich for the real richness it has see we we've fast-forwarded the story from the Genesis last week we're now on the verge of entering the land and here is Moses giving his final sermon. This is a long way after the Exodus, 40 years. And this is Moses as an old man telling Israel as they go into the land what their priorities should be. And um, in a moment, in chapter 5, he's going to go on to explain the law that was given to him. But before he does that, he spends chapter 4 telling us Uh, what that law is like, why we should listen to it. It's a bit like, um, I don't know if you watch wrestling, you get the kind of entrance music for a wrestler. It's probably a bit irreverent to say it like this, but it's that kind of thing. The law's coming in chapter five, and here you're to kind of see why it is so desirable. And I hope the same is true for us as we look at this this morning. We're going to see that this law shows our privilege We're going to see that this word shows God's presence, and we're going to see that this word shows God's people. First of all, then, uh, this word shows our privilege. See, Moses begins this passage with a bit of a thought experiment for Israel. He says to them in verse 32: Ask yourself a question. Has anything like this happened? And he says, Go back in time, go right to the creation of the universe and go across the heavens, think, you know, across the whole world, has anything happened like this? Now, what's he talking about? Well, verse 34, he tells us, has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation, by testings, by miraculous signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds, like the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt? before your very eyes. And so Moses is saying, look, look back to the Exodus. We've heard about the Exodus last year, didn't we? God saved his people out of the slavery they found themselves in Egypt. And Moses says, has anything like that ever happened? The answer being no. But interestingly, I want us to see where Moses focuses when he talks about the Exodus. So you have a look at verse 33. Verse 33. He says to them, has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of the fire as you have and lived? So you might expect Moses to say, look, remember the Exodus. Remember the Red Sea. That was massive, wasn't it? Uh, The the seas departed. That was a unique event. He may say, remember that plague um, with the frogs. That was a dramatic one, wasn't it? But he doesn't. He says, remember the time where God spoke to you. See, Moses here is talking about Sinai, where the people came to the mountain, uh, the fire descended, and they heard God's voice out of the mountain. You can read about it in Exodus chapter 19. See, here's the point Moses wants to drive home. Yes, you were rescued. And yes, that was a dramatic event. But that was not a means to an end. Uh, Sorry, that was a means to another end. That you come to hear... God's word. See, it's what he means when he says in verse 35 you're showing these things that you may know the Lord is God. Now, when he says you may know the Lord is God, he doesn't mean by that you may just kind of assent to the idea that the Lord is God. It's that you may know in your experience that the Lord of the Exodus is God and God alone. See, in other words, these words that Moses is going to go on to describe are not some sort of cold law, not some sort of divine word that's drifted down without any sort of connection. These are words from the God who has saved you. These are the words from the God who wanted you so much that he pulled you out of Egypt to speak to you. See, in other words, these words are the privilege of being his people. I think that's why he refers to creation in verse 32. He says, has anything happened since uh, God created uh, man on the earth? Now, it's interesting he goes there, isn't it? Because remember, when God created man on the earth and he he put put Adam in the garden, well, he gave him his word. And now it's like Eden 2.0, because God is choosing Israel, placing them in the land, and you've guessed it, giving them his word. See, this word that Moses is going to go on to speak is not a burden. It's not something his people have to kind of endure for the real prize of being saved. It is the whole point of everything. God saved them to bring them into a new land where they will hear his word. See, sometimes we drive a bit of a wedge, I think, between the idea of words and relationships. We think that words are kind of sometimes cold and kind of um, a bit kind of formal, where relationships are kind of warm and fuzzy and uh, where it's at. But actually, if you think about, for example, a wedding service, you realize that that doesn't really hold water, that view. See, words are spoken, and they're very relational. I mean, think back to the last wedding you went to. Did any of you sit there thinking to yourself, well, this formal bit where the couple are giving their vows to one another, well, that's taken away from their desire for one another. Uh, When they promise to love uh, the, the, the other... I mean, does anyone think, oh, that's a bit of a burden? Why do I have to make that law? No, they don't. They, they think, well, this is a great moment where this couple who love one another declare their love to each other. And it's similar here that when God rescues his people, he gives them his word as a sign of his love, as a sign of his commitment to them. They're not a burden... Any more than a wedding vow is something, oh, I've got to do that today. It's a great expression of his desire for them. I don't know about you, but as kind of good evangelicals, I think we often talk about salvation, and rightly so. We have a desire, don't we, to tell people about the Lord Jesus in our community, so that they would know him and be saved. And of course, that is absolutely right. But that is just the first step on a journey of something else. See, we call people, people are saved, to know God, to know his word. See, this book before us isn't some sort of tag-on to the Christian life. This is what the Christian life is about, to know God through his word. Jesus said just before his death, now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. See, this word is a great privilege of being God's people. But secondly, I guess some of us might think to ourselves, well, that doesn't do enough for me. That doesn't kind of excite me uh, enough. And, And perhaps it still feels a little bit distant that God speaks in his word. But secondly, here we see... That God's word shows His presence. See, um, Moses, uh, as I mentioned, is speaking his final sermon. He's an old man at this point. And the thing is, he's not going to go into the land with them. They're to go in alone. And you might think to yourself, well, how on earth are they to go on? If Moses isn't going to be with them? if they aren't going to get a kind of another exodus every week to come remind them of who God is? Well, Moses points to what they need. He says, verse 36 From heaven he made you hear his voice to discipline you. On earth he showed you his great fire, and you heard his words from out of the fire. Now, what's interesting here is that Moses speaks very personally. He uses the word you, speaking singly, you personally, you man, you woman. And in fact, he uses the word you when actually almost everyone who he's speaking to wasn't actually there. See, when he says to them, you heard, well, the people he's talking to haven't heard, they weren't literally there. Uh, The first generation passed away after 40 years wandering in the desert. But Moses says that you heard. In other words, the word that was spoken back at Sinai is a word to you, you personally. See, this word that was spoken to your parents is a word that is for you. Now, why does that matter? Well, look at where the people are going to be going, verse 39. Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord your God, uh, I don't mean 39, I mean 38, he's talking about them driving out before you nations greater and stronger than you, and to bring you into their land, and given it as an inheritance. And what are they to do when they're in the land, verse 39? Acknowledge and take to heart that the Lord your God is in heaven above and on earth below. Again, when he says no, he doesn't mean just kind of, oh yeah, I know that. He means uh, experiencing. But notice what he says, experiencing that God is in heaven above and on earth below. In other words, experiencing God's presence, not just knowing that he's in heaven, but he's with you in the land. So you could forgive Israel for thinking, well, we've got no Moses. Or the Exodus was a long time ago and we didn't even experience it. How do we know God is with us? How do we know he's for us? And Moses' answer is, well, the word he spoke maybe we feel similar. We look at the New Testament, we see all the exciting things happen around the time of Jesus and the early church, and we think to ourselves, if only we can go back to those days, then we will know that God is with us, his presence is with us. Or maybe we look back to those great moments of history with all the kind of uh, superstars, Wycliffe and um, Newton and uh, people like that, and we think to ourselves, if only we can get back to those days. But God is present with us because he has spoken his word. Again, going back to the wedding, we know that those words are not just words for one time. Those words are said at one time, but they change reality day by day by day. My words to my wife and my wife's words to me were said in 2007, but today they have a huge impact because of what was said. And it's the same here, that God speaks his word once at Sinai, but actually these words are very personal to the subsequent generations. You see this again in the New Testament where Paul departs, this great figure of the church, and the people around him are desperately sad as they know he's basically off to his death. And what does Paul say to them? Well, he says this, now I commit you to God, and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul doesn't say look for another Paul. He doesn't say look for another experience or another sign. He says, no, you've got the word of his grace. Maybe some of us feel that kind of sense of what should I be doing? How do I know God is with me? How do I know God is for me? And we all go through those ups and downs, don't we, of feeling close to God, far away from God. Maybe we attempted to search for something else. But here's the point, that God's word is enough. It is the way his presence is with us. I must say this has been my experience in my own life as I've come to church. I must say there's times where I know God has got me in his crosshairs and has really told me the word I need to hear, either of correction or encouragement. I'm sure there are many of us who have opened up our Bibles in a morning where we don't know how we're gonna get through the day, and the right thing has been said to us through his word. See, God communicates his presence with us in his word. Now, what are we to do with that information? God's word is a privilege. God's word shows his presence. But thirdly and finally, God's word shows God's people. See, um, there's uh, Moses, as I say, is given his final speech. And I, I wonder what you think might be his priority as these people go into this new nation. I mean, this is a big deal, isn't it? There's 600,000 people going into this new uh, land. You might expect him to say, well, actually, make sure you get a kind of government set up. Or you might expect him to say, we'll invest in infrastructure projects or appoint a minister for leveling up or something like that. But he doesn't, does he? Because look at what he says in verse 40. Keep his decrees and commands which I'm giving you today so it will go well with you and your children after you and that you may live long in the land the Lord your God gives you for all time. See, this is the climax of Moses' first speech here. And what does he say? Keep this word. Now, this word keep, very fascinating this, because, well, at least to me, but this word keep, uh, anyone remember where we heard that before? Two weeks ago, um, uh, in Genesis 1. Uh, In fact, it was the word guard, sorry. Yeah, it was the word guard. And we said that Adam was to guard the garden... In, in the sense of keeping it a place where God's word is taught. And that same word pops up here for Israel. They are to guard, they are to keep God's word. In other words, this is another Eden. This is where God's word is to rule. This is, where this is a place where God's presence can be experienced in his word. See, this word is what defines this new community. Moses doesn't speak about their kind of racial connections. He doesn't speak about their uh, shared geography. He doesn't speak about them uh, being similar types of people, but he does focus on the word that connects them, that defines them. See, words have a huge impact, don't they, in defining communities. If you're a fan of Liverpool FC and it really pains me to say this, but Liverpool FC, there's a, it's, it's a slightly moving moment, isn't it, when they sing, You'll Never Walk Alone. It is a word that unites the stands, and I'm not going to say any more than that. <laughs> or, if you're American, We the People. It is the start of the Declaration of Independence, which defines literally a new nation based on words. And here... We have God's Word defining this new people. This Word is to be guarded. It is to be the Word that is heard, that is sung, that is believed. Now, at that point, you might expect me to say, well, we need to do the same as a church. And of course we do. The church is a place where God's Word is heard and believed, or at least should be, and it does pain us when it's not. But actually, I want us to think a little bit more nuanced than that. Uh, Please turn with me to Mark chapter 9, because what is this word we're to have at the centre of our community here at St. Mary's and across the church, uh, across the world? Well, turn with me to Mark chapter 9, page 1012. Mark chapter 9, 1012. And here, we find ourselves on another mountain, In fact, we find ourselves on another mountain featuring Moses. And we find ourselves on another mountain with Moses speaking words. But instead of pointing to the law, Moses points to a person. See, we read in verse 7, Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my Son, whom I love, Listen to him. Suddenly when they looked round, they saw no one except Jesus. See, Moses is a precursor to Jesus. The law was designed to point to him. See, Moses and Elijah, they fade away and Jesus is left standing. And most of all, this voice from heaven declares, here is my son, listen him and of course there's a great irony here isn't there because they didn't listen Uh, people said that he's got a demon that he said that they should stop paying taxes to Caesar that he will destroy the temple and even the very people that are with him on the mountain seeing this incredible uh, spectacle before them They even deny Jesus with their words in his moment of need. And of course, at the end of this gospel, they try to silence this word. Instead of listening to him, they crucify him. But that word, despite our efforts, was not destroyed. That word rose from the dead. And instead of inflicting judgment on the people who killed him he invited them to f- receive forgiveness and to know him as the true and living word see the word we as the church find ourselves declaring to one another is not just the word that moses spoke but it is the word that has come to our world who has died who has risen who offers us forgiveness and brings us into the privilege of a relationship with God. That's why Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, Let the message, or literally the word of Christ, dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. With all wisdom, through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. See, the Word is not a burden. It's not something we kind of have to do because that's what you do on a Sunday. It is a great declaration of the privilege of being God's people. See, the Word is not some sort of empty sort of document that we find ourselves reading each Sunday. It is an expression of God's presence with us. As we hear this Word declared, as we read this Word ourselves, we we know God's presence with us. And this word, it is our delight, or at least it should be, to be declared among us to one another. As we close, a couple of bits of application. Well, in fact, I say a couple. There's only one bit of application listen. That's what Moses says. Now, we don't listen knowing that we are kind of better than Israel. Uh, we know that they stuff up without spoiling the end, and we're going to see that next week. And we don't listen under our own steam. We need God's spirit, and we're going to be hearing more about that uh, uh, to, to enlighten our eyes. But actually, having known Jesus, or rather come to be known by him, we are to listen to his words. We are brought into a relationship with him and one where we listen to what he says. Now, if you're not a Christian, really, I guess the same message is for you as well. If you're looking into the Christian faith, you're still not quite sure what you think. Uh, It is coming to this word because this is how God communicates his presence in this world. And for those of us who are, I hope we're encouraged to see the joy it is to have this word declared, to have it before us, to be able to read it. And I hope we see the great privilege of being able to declare that to one another in all sorts of ways. Let's pray. Father, we do praise you so much for your living word. Thank you, Father, that it is how we know you, how we can uh, know your presence. And it is the word um, for our community. We do pray, Father, that we would desire it, we would reflect Moses' uh, sense of its significance and please incline our hearts father to embrace your word more and more in jesus name amen
2: we've had a few questions come in which is great so the first one rob why does god choose to speak through moses the people were so quick to forget god speaking through the fire or the miraculous signs in egypt perhaps they wouldn't have if god had spoken to them all the time by fire so i guess it's why yeah Thank why does he think speak that, to us by fire think, all the time? <laughs> no, no, no,
1: thank you thank you for your question. I think that's kind of two questions. Maybe tell me if I'm getting the wrong end of the stick, but I think it's two questions. Uh, why did God choose to speak through Moses? Um, he, uh, well, there's several ways to answer that. Uh, the people, um, you think it'd be good to, well, actually, let me take the second first. You think it'd be good to hear God's word all the time uh, but actually when the people hear God's voice, they are utterly terrified. In fact, they beg Moses uh, that they would not hear his voice, but be spoken to through Moses. Um, Now, that's partly because of the kind of dramaticness of God's word, but it's also, I think, there's a kind of echo of Eden there. Remember after Adam and Eve fell, uh, God spoke his word and they were frightened, They, they hid. And ever since then, I guess, when we hear God's word as fallen human beings, well, there's a sense of terror, a sense of, um, actually, we can't listen to this. So, uh, why did, uh, why did um, so answering that second question, wouldn't it be better if God spoke to him all the time through fire? Well, probably not because of that. It'd be terrifying. Um, so, God sends Moses as this intercessor uh, to show, uh, to speak to the people. And I think why did God choose to speak for Moses? You'll have to ask him. But I guess, um, I guess one of the things we're told is that actually he's a precursor to Jesus. So uh, Jesus is the word, and he speaks God's word. And Moses uh, kind of gets us used to that kind of category uh, before Jesus comes. That's probably all I can say on that.
2: Okay, thank you very much. Come so. Back to- Second question, does God speak to us other than through the Bible today?
1: (laughs) Yeah. um, Easy one there. Yeah, easy one. Uh, (laughs) uh, We will come back to this. So um, we're going to spend a few weeks on this theme. So um, uh, we will come back to this. Um, I don't think I would want to say, does God speak to us other than through the Bible today? I don't think I would want to say no, because uh, I'm not God and I'm not going to limit God. But I do think, if I was to rephrase the question, should we expect God to speak to us today, I think the answer would be no, in the sense of him speaking directly to us. Um, So the reason I say that is Hebrews chapter 1, the author says, in the past God spoke to us, uh, spoke to our forefathers through the prophets, and at many times and in various ways. And so basically, you know, the Old Testament's full of prophets, full of different ways of God speaking, uh, through Balaam's donkey and all that. Uh, But verse 2, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. So God used various means, but now he has spoken in his son. So I think, um, should we expect something uh, outside um, I don't think we expect it, and I don't think we need it. Now, that's not to say, you know, it can't never happen, uh, but I think the expectation in the Christian life, the excitement, I guess, is the fact that God has spoken, not that he, that he needs to speak something else that he hasn't. Um, now, I realise there'll be some of us who hear that and think to ourselves, well, that sounds a bit dull, or I've had experiences where I felt God's pressed something on my heart. Um, and I think that's true. Those things do happen. But I don't think they're outside of what God has spoken uh, to us uh, through the Lord Jesus. Have I said enough on that, Chris? Yeah, that's good. Are you sure? Yeah, okay. thank you.
2: So in our evangelism, to what extent do you think it's helpful to focus on our experience, so forgiveness, fellowship, hope, et cetera, versus sharing the word of God directly?
1: Um, I don't think it's either or. I would say share God's word directly as soon as you can because um, it's, it's perfectly valid to talk about experience. I spoke a little bit about experience didn't I, about how I felt God's really spoke to me over time, but hopefully you notice that wasn't the bulk of what I was saying uh, because actually God's word is the best thing. It's, uh, so I personally would talk about my experience. I just talk very casually of being a Christian and what that means, but I quite often, I would try and get to the sense in which I would say, hey, there's this talk happening, would you like to come? Or have you ever thought of reading the Bible as an adult? Would you like to do that? Or, you know, whatever. But um, yeah, I think it is through the Word that ultimately we're changed. And I think I've had quite a few friends who've had all sorts of questions, but actually as they've sat down with me and read the Bible, actually it's really, you've just seen the change really happen because actually they're thinking more they're thinking beyond their sort of initial uh, reservations. So, yeah, go to God's word.
2: So we've got a kind of mechanics question. How, could you give a few examples of how we speak God's word word to other believers, actually? It's not uh, unbelievers, to others' believers.
1: Um, ask each other. I don't know. I'm not... On a <laughs> um, other believers, sorry.
2: Uh, yeah, I unbelievers.
1: Yeah, ask each other. I think... Lots of us are really good at this. So yeah, do in the coffee afterwards. So what do you do? Um, How do we do it? Uh, I guess we've got to know God's word. Uh, We've got to know that God's word is the thing that's going to help one another. Um, So it's worth thinking about. And I guess there is, let's just acknowledge this. There is a little bit of a pain barrier to go through. Um, It is easier talking about Liverpool, um, or not in my case, but uh, you know, it's easier to talk about that or weather or the latest COVID news. it is harder, isn't it, to say, what do you think of that sermon? But actually, oh, sorry, that's not a great question to ask, or, you know, (laughs) what what encouraged you, sorry, (laughs) what encouraged you in what we heard this morning, or something like that, there's a little bit of a pain barrier, but actually um, it's crucial, because sometimes just reinforcing something with someone, or speaking God's word, and just, I'm sure we all know this, just really help us at the right time, but I'm probably pretty useless at it, I mean, I can do this bit. I'm not very good at speaking to one another. And there's some, I could just see some faces I know are excellent. So, yeah, speak to one another about it.
2: Um, so two questions about um, Elijah and Moses. How did they recognize Elijah and Moses? And why Elijah and Moses?
1: Uh, why Elijah and Moses is probably the easy one. Um, Elijah is like... Uh, so in the Old Testament, um, the kind of Jewish... Um, People divided it up into the books of Moses, uh, the prophets, and the law, uh, sorry, and the, and, and the wisdom literature. And so Moses is like the kind of um, t- team captain of the law bit. They, they all were called the books of Moses. Uh, Elijah is like the first prophet, or he's even called a pre-prophet. Um, so he's like the kind of figurehead of the prophetic era, if you like. So these are the two heavyweights you'd get if you wanted to show that actually the law And the prophets both direct to Jesus, which is exactly what we see. How do they recognize them? I don't know. Uh, We're not told, are we? Uh, One to um, ask later when we get to heaven.
2: Okay. Maybe
1: they ask Jesus afterwards. I'm sure it's.
2: So, so final question. Um, Speaking God's word through. God speaking through his word today is great. But what about dyslexics or people who find it hard to read for other reasons among us who find it hard to read the Bible in the first place?
1: Thank you. I'm really glad you asked that question. That's a really helpful one. Um, I've got to be careful because sometimes I do say about reading our Bible and that is an excellent thing to do but um, for 1500 years in the church's history most people could not read uh, and most people did not have the Bible in front of them in English in a language they could understand uh, so I've just got to be slightly careful with that uh, now that doesn't mean we don't read our Bibles because we have you know God's providence got most of us are able to read and uh, we've thankfully got God's Word in our language uh, to understand. Uh, But it's not a kind of thing that you have to read it and do it every morning to be be a valid Christian because, as I say, three courses of the church's life so far uh, people would not have been able to read. Um, I think there's a great... um, Lots of great options emerging at the moment. So, audiobooks. I've got into these in the last six months. Really fantastic. I just... I don't know. There's something different about hearing hearing the word, and there are free versions of the Bible to do that, so I don't think there's anything super spiritual in reading it versus putting it on your uh, iPhone or something and and listening to it, so do ask about that if you don't know how to do that. Um, Also, uh, you keep coming each Sunday because preaching uh, is the way uh, we just kept going as well, Uh, and there's something special about preaching in the sense that we hear God's word declared, Um, and Please, please, please don't be discouraged. There's not kind of two tiers of Christians who are able to read the Bible and Christians who are not. Um, I know some of the people, who, yeah, I just know some of the Christians that are the greatest model to me aren't necessarily the ones who are able to read kind of well. Or, yeah, so great. I've probably said enough on that. Keep thank going. you. Be and encouraged. that's the
2: end of our questions. We've just got a thank you from someone at home. So thank oh, you thank you. Is that my wife? Might yeah. be, yeah, sorry. Might be, <laughs> did you pay Thank her? You. <laughs>